This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Visit JabberjawMedia.com for more shows like this one. Today's show is sponsored by Tracker. Make losing things a thing of the distant past. Pair Tracker to your smartphone, attach it to anything, and find its precise location with the tap of a button. Go to thetracker.com. That's thetracker.com right now and enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN. All one word for your free Tracker Bravo with any order. That's thetracker.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN. And today's show is also sponsored by Zeal. Are you looking for an in-home, on-demand massage at just an hour's notice? Go to zeal.com right now and receive $25 off your first massage by using promo code BADCHRISTIAN at checkout. That's Z-E-E-L.com, promo code BADCHRISTIAN for $25 off your first massage. You are now entering the Bad Christian Podcast. All right, guys, my name is Matt from the Bad Christian Podcast. Now, I was speaking earlier this week about the futility of politics, but and I was talking to a general audience there, but today I'm only speaking to Christians. That's all I'm talking to right now. So let's take a second and identify our priorities. Now, our identity is in Christ more so than it is being Republican. Uh, the Bible holds more weight than the Constitution, and Jesus' words and action are more impactful and matter more than those of our president. Also, we're pretty lucky, too, because the Bible's very clear and easy to understand on the topic of loving your neighbors and enemies. So with that said, if you're a Christian, how in the hell could you be opposed to the notion of helping people that need help? I mean, it's like the most basic thing that we can take from the Bible, help people. I would go so far as to say the more concerned you are with security and the more you're for our government limiting aid for others— also, directly proportional to that would be your amount of personal and financial sacrifice to the cause of the clear biblical mandate to help people. So those who care most about border security would be giving the most, would, would be the logical takeaway given the set of priorities. Oh, yeah, and that's just the men, women, and children that we count as neighbors, not to mention we're commanded to love the enemies, which is like ISIS, I suppose. Uh, but, you know... Republicans don't get away with everything there. If you're a Trump-hating, Democratic Christian, you probably see your enemies as those Trump people. So you got to deal with that too. Again, safety and love are not mutually exclusive. And it's frankly disgusting to see white evangelical Christianity uh, celebrating the not helping of others as some type of victory. Uh, I think it's called xenophobia and it's got no place in the church. But here's some good news, though, lest I be accused of always bashing the church or Christianity. Those who attend church regularly are, according to Philanthropy Today, are almost twice as likely to give to charity, including secular charities. So that's great. That means that uh, despite, and that should be encouragement, so despite the loudmouths out there, the church does value giving uh, humans and Jesus's command. So great work, everybody. So today on the podcast, our guest is Matt Willingham, who works for the nonprofit Preemptive Love, preemptivelove.org. So Matt lives in Iraq, and his whole job there is to care for people, uh, give people food, and train people displaced by the awful tragedies that are going on. Uh, I hope you enjoy the episode. He's a very cool guy, and we just will defer to him to untangle some of the truths and myths about this whole crisis and, and, you know, what it is that we can do given our biblical mandate. All right. So I hope you enjoy the episode. And remember, if you're enjoying the Bad Christian Podcast at all, I would ask that you would 
Make sure you're subscribed, of course, and tell some other people about it. Word of mouth is really what we depend on. And thank you very much for listening and sharing. Three, two, one. A Joey and Matt and Toby, we're the best friends, and we do the best podcast for Christ. Indeed. It's all about Jesus. It's all, it's all about JC. It's all about Christ, man. That's debatable. Yeah. Every time. Every time. Depends on who you ask about our podcast, what it's about. That's for sure. In fact, you can call uh, you can call our podcast JC and the Boys because <laughs> it's JC and we as boys. Yes, it is. I mean, Joey, you're, a, right. pa- you're a pastor. That solidifies that everything we do on this podcast is for Jesus. Well, we, don't do any, we don't do anything that's outside of biblical standards. It's like having a, a rabbi bless the food or something. It's just, we have Joey around, so he, pa- you know, he pastorizes all our conversations, yeah. and they, therefore they're used for good. Right. I pastorize. I mean, you guys bastardize. <laughs> that's, that's right. <laughs> Hey, uh, 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 uh. speaking of being a pastor, I just got really pissed off uh, That's yesterday. What That's what, what pastors y'all didn't have enough yes. attendance last week? Didn't raise enough money? What? <laughs> no, pa- Matt, pa- pastors get mad if anybody disagrees with them. <laughs> no, yesterday, seriously, I was hanging out for lunch with uh, just, you know, somebody that wanted to get to know me and... Uh, we just small talk for a while and he was telling me his background and all this stuff. And then near the end, he said, Hey man, what can I be praying for you about? <laughs> now this is somebody you just met or how, is it here's just, the context. That I've son never of a met, bitch. <laughs> I've never ever met this guy before. And so I'm thinking, yes, there I'm thinking there's there's some things that you can pray for me about, but I don't really want to share them with you right now. And so I was telling Matt before we started that this is the time when you can say unspoken. So if someone says, if someone says, Hey, I'd like to pray for you about something. What can it be? If you don't want to tell them, just say yes. Unspoken. I mean, I just, I, I, this kind of stuff used to not bother me, but now it bothers me. And and it, it's not bothering me that someone that's not a pastor is asking a pastor if he can pray for him. It's not like a, a pride thing. It's uh-huh. just like I don't. I don't want to talk to you about this. Well, like it's, it's funny I'll talk, it's, I'll talk to Toby uh, about it. Nice I'll talk thing. to Matt about it. It's a nice thing. It is or is it? Or do you? Or do you actually feel get the feeling like people use that line? What can I pray for you? As like a pry into gossip or to get to know something or a shortcut. No, or no. Like on, honestly, I I truly believe this guy's heart was in the right place. I truly believe he really wanted to just be there for me as like a brother. It just didn't sit well with. You just said I'm it, struggling I, with some guilt. In nineteen in nineteen eighty nine, I picked up a prostitute. I, I, I mean, you should, I, you should, should I go on? <laughs> you should have went Did real you dark. Got, did you guys get this sort of? Th- y'all had to have had this happen. Y'all, y'all told me about it, like on the road all yeah. the time. Y'all got to get this. Well, sort of so stuff. what's probably I mean, Toby, you, you got there, what's it, your favorite verse one time, right? Oh yeah, but, you it's, but what's your so favorite like a million times? The whole thing is it's misguided a little bit, but it's only slightly misguided from a good intention. So yeah, you know, it sounds arrogant to say it, but it's like there's you're in a situation if you're a pastor, if you're in a band, especially if you do something that is in the realm of Christianity, people are just looking for connection points to you. So that's understandable. Like what, you know, it's just a way to talk to somebody that in, at least in their mind has status, whether you want, want to acknowledge that or not as a pastor or whatever, he's thinking, you know, he wants to get to know you and that's your common language and he wants to, you know, do something. And so we get that a lot. Like you could be out in the middle of a, 
show with a line of 12 people behind you at House of Blues in Cleveland, and you get one kid that comes up and he talks to you for a minute, and then he's really insistent on, okay, now we like, let's pray. Like, tell me some stuff we can pray about. What's your favorite verse? And you're just in front of all these people, and you're just thinking, I got to get out of here. This is, this is the most uncomfortable thing. And you feel pressure to come up with an answer, <laughs> but then you feel like if you say an answer, it's going to be, what's your favorite verse or something? Or, you know, can you give me some encouragement or what can, what can I pray for you about? Can I pray with you right now? And the answer is right. always, no, no, right. not, definitely not. I have been I have been at a birthday party for someone's kid. So they invited my kids and I've had a guy. He was in his young 20s, very very arrogant Christian. I have my stuff together. I don't mess up. I don't do bad things. Ask me across the living room, "Hey man, well, what have you been learning from God lately?" And he was serious. <laughs> <laughs> he was serious. I was like, "Good God, yeah. I don't want to talk about God." That's so funny <laughs> though. If you do the party. unspoken thing, if you say, "Hey, what can I pray for you?" Say, "I've got like three or four unspoken's." It's a nonsense interchange. You know what I'm saying? It's like just signaling on both sides, but no actual. And everybody, yep, got it. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I, the worst for me always is here's the thing. When you're younger, you're more on fire for Christ, and, and you you fall into the trap of I, my goal is to sp- share the gospel. You know what I mean? That old I, that trap. Is what I'm, what, the great that's what commission. I'm here to. The Great Commission. I'm here <laughs> to do that, and that's what I'm supposed to do. So the funniest thing would this has happened at least probably four to ten times in my music <laughs> music career. There's always some sweaty, uh, chubby, eighteen year old that goes, "Hey man." Uh, I'd really want to pray for you. I was like, okay, thank you. I appreciate it. He goes, no, let, right now. You come over here and yeah. pray for us. And there's a group, <laughs> come over there's, a, there's a group of, a sweaty group of, of white teenage males that are all just ready to pray over me in a, like at some bar. And, oh, and I'm like, well, are you gosh. kidding? Like I have to go over there and you do that. Cause this is all about you. Like this is all, it Hey, is. cause they want to leave there and go, Hey, the lead singer Emery, we prayed for him. After he left. I mean, it, they don't know what's uh, really going on. It's not real. Like that isn't real. And so I always say, hey, at first I would just be nice, and I was like, why am I doing this? This is isn't helping them. So then I started saying, hey, you know what? I don't have time, <laughs> and I, and you don't totally know what I'm what I'm going through. So I tell you what. Why don't you pray for me and then find us online or whatever, and then let's have a conversation. If you go through a few different steps, then yeah, I'll believe it's real. And then ne- nobody ever did. They they want to do it that instant just for a story. Like if somebody really wanted to pray for me and be involved in my life with well them, follow me online, find my email, do all this stuff, and then ask me. You know, let's have some real things to pray for. Not hey, it's tough. What you know what they yeah. always wanted? It's tough on the road being a warrior for Christ. <laughs> they would they would have jizzed their well, pants if yeah, they would have heard me they say want. that, <laughs> dude. They 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 have they kind of have you over a barrel <laughs> because. If you say, no, I don't have time, yeah. I don't want your prayer, they're yeah. just like, prayer? I mean, <laughs> you don't want prayer? Right. Like, I know. This, yes, they say that. Uh, they like, they I, look I actually, shocked when you, don't, when you say no to yes, prayer. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, you, I just, actually, you just lost your life. <laughs> well, Toby, that's it Toby, for you. you. Yeah, Toby, you know what our lobby setup is, like on Sunday mornings, how right. chaotic it is, and people around. I had a guy come up to me and said, hey, man, I think the Lord gave me a word for you. Can I pray it over you? And it just caught me off guard. From now on, no? I'm just going to say, no, I can't do that right now. Maybe later. If it's one I, word, then okay. Right. Peace. You know. <laughs> Peace. Yeah. Salvation. But he, he, actually, he actually made a scene. I mean, he put his hands on me and started praying in an elevated voice. And I was just like, I mean, Isn't that exactly what Jesus in the Bible tells us not to do? Like, not like to do. Making like, a big yeah. show. 
making a big show of it and, and like a you know it's a big circus and oh my like I I we used to pray on stage and I realized it was so <laughs> stupid like what in the world are we do like I I watched a video I'm not gonna say who it is but there was a band you know it was a video of their band and right before the set they you know they prayed together and hugged and all this stuff I was like it was a you were just you were just back in the green room talking now all of a sudden it's super emotional and you got to pray for each other yeah. when you're on the stage like like i mean why do you got to hug each other like Dude, oh man this know, is it's about to go down for real like no you're you're in a rock band you know you're it'd in be a hilarious rock band selling t-shirts you know it'd be hilarious is next time somebody asks you like i i definitely couldn't do this but next time someone asks y'all uh to pray for you say yes and right when they lay hands on you, fall down in the spirit. <laughs> like you just totally, I was slain in the spirit. <laughs> no, I, I actually thought how funny would it be to like turn the tables? Like I bring out the anointing oil. I like let's, let's, get, <laughs> <what if> he, <laughs> let's get serious. <laughs> like it gets real. Like I start speaking in tongues. Okay, what would they do? Like if he really pushed, how far could you go? That would be an awesome video to surprise, like speaking in tongues, uh, like like anybody that comes up to you and goes, "Hey, do you know the Lord is your personal savior?" Yes, I do. And let me tell you, and you just start going off. That'd be very funny. <laughs> That's great. So you know the the whole thing about that is it it's you can kind of understand with the way Christian culture and the leadership goes and the the way you know the way we always talk about it seems it's almost disrespectful that we expect such low things out of people in the church and it doesn't you know you can't blame sometimes the kids coming up in the goofy environment of the church when we're clearly getting so many things wrong it seems like to me from the institutional church and the way we have gotten and a great example of that of course is the refugee thing and everything we're in now to me it's really like the good samaritan is like the biggest oh man is the biggest thing that i think you could spend I think yeah. I feel like every church ought to be teaching the Good Samaritan is, is, is where I'm at. So I want to do that today, not to be too serious, but, um, you know, I think this is something that is be interesting to talk about. We have our guests coming on in a few minutes, but I want to, before the guest hey. comes on, I want to get y'all's thoughts on what you really feel about this refugee things. It's kind hey, of hey guys, yeah. well, well, I don't know. This, this probably ain't going to sit well with you, but my brother, Mike, is in town visiting, and I... <laughs> And I don't, I know we've had some run-ins with him before and it's a little uncomfortable, but I did want to say like, would y'all mind, like I was, last night we were talking, we were drinking some beers last night, just talking for hours. And his points about this whole, you know, refugee stuff are, are pretty interesting. It's kind of like, cares you know, about politics. Well, no, but you know, let me just bring him on. Can y'all, can y'all give me two seconds and let I mean, me bring this, him on? Is this good for our show? If it, I hope he'll be, not, I hope he'll behave. If, if so, then I'm okay with All right, it. Hold on. I don't like this, man, personally. You want, do you want to come on the podcast? Well, let's give him a shot. Okay, okay here he comes. Here he comes. All right. All right. Hey, Mike, what's up, dude? Hey, Mike. What the f***'s up? Hey, no nuts, the pastor turd sandwich. What the f***'s up with y'all? Good to talk hey, to you, what's... Mike. We're uh, we're doing refugee stuff today. Are you sure? I mean, there's, uh, we're not talking about weightlifting or anything today. So are you, you know. You got... Let me tell you what I think about it, motherfuckers. People are losing their shit over this immigration law and what Donnie done passed. Now, everyone knows I love Donnie. Nothing gets me more pissed off than these little snowflake liver douches complaining about how mean he is. <laughs> so, yeah. Just because you <laughs> traded your testes for a JJ doesn't mean all of us are nuts. Okay, but, so, hey, okay, but Mike, I, I guess nobody's that surprised. This right here. This right here. Yeah, so hey, you're what's obviously the a Trump supporter. We get that. Anyway, I know that Donnie's done stirred up a whole world of shit. 
He's whipping out his Trump steak and having everybody suck on it. But I love that shit. But I've got to be real with you. Since this is my brother's podcast, and even though he seems like a card-carrying liberal, I love that bastard. My brother's a f***ing rock star with vocal cords touched by the G-O-D. <laughs> but enough of that lovey-dovey shit. i got to be real with you all about Donnie. If Trump builds that wall, how the f*** am I supposed to get my meds? How about that? You think I can get the framework done on Tim and Sherry Naismith's house by next week? Oh, because you're, uh... You Tell know, me, see that a liberal? Give prof- me your queer eye for the straight guy knowledge. <laughs> well, so uh, so you're actually having some conflict with Trump because of stuff like imports, tariffs, the wall. Because, you, you, for instance, you get right your now, medicine from Mexico. How do I get my performance enhancing? <laughs> how, how do I get my medicine? Yeah, I can see that. And I fired three f-ing white dudes last week because they were sorry as. Alejandro and Miguel stepped the f- up like champs, and we got twice the work done as those white motherfuckers. So you differ with Trump on on the border stuff, you, in, including the refugees. But where are you with that? Here's what I think. I was at the f-ing airport yesterday coming to visit my brother. I saw two armed guards escorting Arnold Schwarzenegger in handcuffs, shipping it back to Austria. Oh no! <laughs> How's that right? He graduated from the University of Wisconsin. Oh no! Terminator Three is still my favorite f-ing movie of all time. Hey, bald douche, do you know when Terminator 3, the original Terminator, was made? It's like right, right. 1984. Okay. Is that a f-ing coincidence? So are, are you saying that you voted for Trump maybe a little blindly? Here's what I start- think. Are you regretting voting for Trump? I know f-ing no emotion robot liver douche doesn't care, but bald <laughs> f- You're a pastor, and that guarantees you love looking at ass and getting ass. Am I right? No. Yeah, you're right. For sure. Here's what nobody's thought love about. It. This Immigration, we are going to lose some of the greatest people in the history of America that's ever walked on American soil. Oh, okay. So you, you let me name some names of, of immigrants Giselle Budgeon, Heidi Klum, True. Claudia Schiffer, Candace Swainpole, <laughs> Charlize <laughs> Theron, not to mention motherfuckers, Madison Ivy, Angel Dark, Ava Adams, Black Angelica, <laughs> and Honey Demon, who's in some of my favorite movies ever made <laughs> how is that right it's not right it's right. not right mike so, is a rare what am thing. i supposed to do it's a rare thing to agree with you so much here but i agree with you immigrant immigrants and refugees that's kind of what this whole nation is if you go farther back right like even the people that came over from all of europe and the irish and everybody was immigrants i don't know and what refugees. The you're talking about right now i'm full-blooded american but here's the thing i want to say this is deathly scary for any man in America. Please call your congressman, and whatever you do, Americans, let's stop this right now. Do you hey. understand, Baldouche? Yeah. Hey, do you think it's possible to get Hillary as president, even though the election is over? Do you think we can just do that, like get her, get her in, or would you like that? Toby told me you were going to ask the f-ing stupidest question I'd ever heard, but I didn't <laughs> believe him. Garrett Damptee, he was right. I'm getting the f- out of here. Okay, so there you have it. Mike Morrell is uh, against. He's starting to turn against Trump and thinks we should reopen the refugee. Stuff hey guys, I, w- I was it, downstairs. How did it go? Was it any? It actually went pretty well. I mean, you know, the language hasn't cleaned up a bit. I don't want it totally cleaned up, but it's just kind of over the top. But other yeah, than that, I, he just, he's just so passionate. You yeah, know what I mean, like yeah. He's a, it's. I love. He's the definitely. Guy. He's definitely transitioning through a lot. You can he does tell. Not, he's. Yeah, he does not he, sound he, like a seventeen-year-old. He, he does. Yeah, no, he doesn't. He he definitely I I think he's rethinking the Trump presidency, which is super surprising. I think some things are he just lo- coming. He loves Donald Trump. He loves Donald Trump. So yeah, but 
anyway, I'm glad he came on. It's nice to see right. him yes. sticking up for immigrants and refugees, at least. That's good. Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. I, I was going to say something, too. Uh, just on a side note, no matter what, don't ever type in sexy immigrants who might be deported. That doesn't work out because you would... <laughs> You will only get a page that leads to we'll have sex for green cards over and over and over. <laughs> Lord. Lord. I would that's say stay dark, away man. from that. Yeah, let's yeah do. do not type in sexy immigrants. That's not, I mean, if you're trying to find a list of people who are not from this country, don't add the word sexy. <laughs> All right. Well, I'll tell, you, I'll tell you what to definitely type in. And this is for all of you guys out there and girls that lose stuff i think that's every single one of us that's tracker.com the tracker.com you go there right now and here's what you're going to find it's unbelievable these little coin sized devices that can locate misplaced keys wallets bags computers anything in seconds so i had one of these trackers in my book bag just in one little pocket in my book bag i have it all programmed and I was at the mall, put my book bag down, had no idea where it was. Problem solved. I pick up my phone, check the app, and I, I just walk right to it. So it's, it's that easy. Make losing things a thing of the past. You get one of these trackers, you pair it to your smartphone, attach it to anything, and you find its precise location with the tap of a button. Lose your phone, press the button on the tracker, and your phone rings even when it's silent. So Tracker's finding over a million misplaced items a day. So what are you waiting for? You know you lose things. Order yours and never lose anything again. Listeners to this show, you get a free Tracker Bravo with any order. You do that by going to thetracker.com and enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN. That's all one word. So go to thetracker.com right now and enter promo code BADCHRISTIAN for your free Tracker Bravo with any order. Make losing things a thing of the past. Right on. So y'all know we like to have fun, and I'm glad Mike came on. But I do want to spend the rest of the episode talking actually totally and for real about refugees and immigrants immigrant crisis and all that stuff. Our guest is Matt Willingham. He'll be on in a few minutes, but before he comes on, and he's in Iraq, by the way, so hopefully his connection and everything is good. Um, before that, I wanted to get y'all's take on it, and I'm curious, like, for instance, how out there, if y'all went to church or heard about churches, something I'm curious about is how churches have been uh, handling this, because I'm wondering, here's what I'm wondering, I don't know the data on this, but I'm, I'm wondering, do, are churches, did they have they avoided this thing last week? Have they been talking about it? Have pastors been speaking out, out about it or staying silent because they're afraid of, of being political? Or, you know, there's some pastors like Greg Locke, who we've had on here, this is the biggest Trump anti-immigrant type rhetoric. And we see that a lot, but, but so I'm sure he would, you know, did his normal thing. But what about all the other pastors out there? Do they avoid it and just go on with week four of their marriage series this week? Or, or has this been a topic in the church? Yeah, uh, well, Greg Locke was retweeted by Milo, <laughs> which I thought was really funny. Uh, you know, a, a very right-wing pastor in Tennessee, <laughs> middle of nowhere, you know, but retweeted by a flaming gay, you know, har hardcore uh, right guy. But uh, I, I think what I saw most of mostly was a lot of pastors taking to social media, not maybe saying as much, maybe like vaguely saying something from the pulpit, but then maybe from social media saying a little bit more what they thought. Yeah, that's what I saw. I don't know what you see, Joey. Uh, I did mean, they do anything I, at Did they do anything at Seacoast? No, we had a guest speaker, and he he mentioned how he was going to avoid politics, and then and kind of went right on. I yeah, 
I know a lot of people have a, a, a problem with this and the church is not jumping right into saying stuff. I, I just don't, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about that. I, I definitely don't wholeheartedly agree um, that people should. And, and here's why is yet it's, it's a humanist issue. I get that, but people do not separate it from politics. And so even though you may be saying something from a very take care of humans perspective, right. People could be hearing it as, whoa, they're advocating a political party. And I don't think there's any room for that in the church. So I'm not saying that we that leaders should never speak up, but I'm saying I, I do think it should be somewhat of a careful thing. And I 100% agree with Matt that most churches mm-hmm. are motivated uh, to keep people happy, keep well, people in their seats, let me and just, keep the money coming in. Let me just ask you or, or point out that certainly in you know 1862, slavery was a political issue. Right but better church should stay out of it. Well, I mean, I mean, it, it, yeah, I mean, that's a good point. The problem is the well, church is scared. Like what Joey just said, the church is actually a little scared yeah, that right. they might come off of it. Now here's the point where I think I understand some of that because you don't want to become an issue. If, if like, for example, if Greg at, at Seacoast came out and said, Hey, this is awful. What Trump has done is terrible. Or he took the other route. What Trump done is not bad. It's about saving whichever stance he took then the entire church becomes about that. That's what the media wants to talk about. That's what everything happens. Uh, you know, I mean, that's what it becomes. And so that there's the danger in that from the pulpit when you're trying to supposedly mm-hmm. talk about Jesus and you end up talking about what is a politically heightened uh, issue, even though it is people. So I think you have to weigh carefully. Now, the same thing is I think the church has caused that problem. We, we've gotten so scared and protective that we just want to look good and, and then, you know, never get into trouble for standing up for anything real. And so that's that's where the danger is. Yeah, I mean, it seems crazy to me to just go on with week three on your best whatever it is series, that, of you know, and not mention the other. And But to right. me, it's, it's a th- the third way, the real way has nothing to do with politics. I mean, and, and I say that all the time, of course, but uh, it, it doesn't have to be political to get up there and say, well, it's clear that there are people in the world that need help. If you've ever heard the Good Samaritan story, which one do you want to be? That doesn't, right, and yeah. that doesn't mean your government does it or it's political. It just means, hey, church. Like to me, it would have been completely reasonable. And for if you just showed up at church on Sunday and it said they said, oh, okay, well, actually, we're uh, there's no service. We're all going out to raise money to just send overseas. For instance, right. that's not political. That's just saying, well, there's humans here. So if if the fear of being looked at or labeled as political on one side or the other, or it's, the thing that bothers me most is the notion that there's a there's a pastor out there yeah. or lots of pastors out there that probably feel strongly about the issue in the humanitarian sense and then felt like they couldn't even mention it or speak out because of not the media, not other people, but people in their own flock right. giving them flack, flock from the flack from the flock. Right. Is, right. <laughs> well, yeah, you're exactly right. Bounce off what you said earlier. And that's just wuss uh, 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 is yeah, what that well, is. Well, lo- a lot of churches have no problem standing up against abortion and lives and those being real <laughs> right. lives and that they matter. But when it comes to refugees, you better stay away because right. you don't tell Yeah, so yeah, again, I mean, that, that knocks that, out that the stand out of politics bizarre. argument. Now, I agree. These things don't have to be spoken of politically. You can speak about life and humans and human rights and civil rights, all that stuff without being political. The fact that it is political is a is a huge problem, period. Like, you know, but you know, the, it's the most obvious thing possible is that church, like it should be a no brainer that the church's job is to help people. So to me, the tighter you want to be on security, it would seem the more you would 
also therefore be personally compelled to give and sacrifice as an individual, right? Like, yeah. you know what? I'm not letting these people in our country because I think this is the thing about safety and I'm a Christian and I'm a right winger and I'm super supportive of shutting down the borders. And since I'm so supportive of shutting down the borders, I'm going to have to go over and beyond since I'm commanded to love my enemy and care about people yep. or not even love my enemy, right. my neighbor. I mean, just to love people in general. I, therefore, as somebody that supports the uh, border, the, the country ban, then even more so you should be somebody who is giving above and beyond to humanitarian organizations that are even outside the country, right? There's could be no excuse for right. that. In my, in my view, I mean, and it hit me kind of personally, I guess, like, well, now we're going to go talk about it. And like, it's just all, you don't, it doesn't do any good. Everybody just talking about the, the political part of it. I mean, if you took all that effort and channeled it to helping people, it, surely we got people to help, right? That's not, yeah. doesn't have to be political, does it? Well, it's, yeah, no, it doesn't have to be, but it just yeah, that's what I'm saying. I think it's the church's responsibility, ability to not make it political, but I think the church fails at that. In fact, I, I mean, that the, the system of religion and Sunday morning church and politics are very interlinked in how they handle things. There's certain things you can't talk about. Certain things need to be only a few people get in the inner room. Uh, there's, there's things that you do say out loud and, and promote. And there's some things you don't. And it's really interesting that usually the things you don't promote the most are hard or bad. And the things you promote the most get your congregation or your constituents excited. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and so, and it just, that's, you, you pick those, your leader. Like your, your leader is a reflection of you. You don't, nobody ever go, when, whenever I hear people talking bad about church, it's usually because they say it's boring or whatever. But most of the people at a church, like it because that guy's saying what they think yeah you know what i mean that's why so, but that's what i'm saying his yeah. job is to sit up there and say what they want to hear it, or and for the most part and then, right and then, so, that's what they I want know. but I, it's kind of hypocritical at least it's a little it's a little freaky to me the whole situation is in general but um we're uh I, let's keep talking about this let's try and do it as conversational as we can so uh okay. we gotta take a quick break and then we'll be back with Matt Willingham. Now, he works for a charity called Preemptive Love. He's in Iraq, so I think his internet connection will be slow. So we'll probably be dealing with a delay um, from the test I did earlier. Uh, we've, uh, you know, this will sound like bragging, but the point of this is to bring attention to it. We we have made a donation on behalf of the BC Club to this charity, Preemptive Love. And additionally, anybody who joins the BC Club uh, this month, for the next month, we're going to give their first months of, of dues or fee or whatever it is. We're going to add all that money to the donation we're giving to this charity. Uh, I haven't spoken with him before, but, you know, hopefully he can help us untangle some of the fact and fiction and what's good and what's helpful and what's not. Because, you know, right. you cannot be informed by just wandering around Facebook, you know, yeah. and getting spoon fed by an algorithm news that it thinks you want to hear. I don't really feel serious? like there's many people very informed on the topic, including us. But um, right. at least doing a little digging, this is a charity that seems cool um, that a lot of people pointed to. And from what I can find out, seems like they really are doing some great stuff. And we'll find out some more about that right after the break here. Dang, thanks for telling me about Facebook. I've I've definitely been relying on it for mm-hmm. like current events and logic. Yes, where you get your material. Yeah. Okay. So 
Let me tell you guys about Zeal. Valentine's Day is coming up, and don't fight the crowds with that big night out. You know how it gets. You know how it's a line everywhere, reservations. There's tons of traffic that day, too. It's, it's a disaster. But don't do that. You turn your home into a luxury spa with your own private massage with Zeal. Wow, wow, wow. Now, Zeal is a massage service, uh, and it's amazing because what they basically do is find the best massage people, send them massage therapists, I suppose, you can make an appointment with them in in an hour, and within an hour, somebody will come to your house, and you can get a massage. Because that's the biggest thing about massages. You're usually like, I just got done cutting the grass and weed eating. I could use one right now. Okay, you call the spa. What are you going to do? It's, it's a weekend. They're closed. They're booked for three or four days. There's nothing you can do a lot of times. And so by that time, you just deal with it and live with it. But if you could have uh, one of their 8,000 licensed massage therapists with a table music supplies and give you a five-star massage at your house. How could you not do that? So scheduling, booking, payment is easy and fast. The tip is included, which is great. So you don't think about that. You don't tip, which I like. Um, Seven days a week, 365 days a year, Zeal Massage Therapist can be at your door in as little as an hour. Privacy, convenience, quality, comfort. Uh, you got to find out for yourself why it's been featured in the Wall Street Journal, New York Times, Vogue, Good Morning America. Um, You can bring the spot bring the spa to you if you try zeal today so really you could do it today like right now you could be you could be getting massaged in an hour from hearing me so say cool. this so go for it um you know you could have the best massage of your life so to help you get started our listeners get 25 dollars off their first massage by using promo code bad christian at checkout so first of all their prices are lower than a spa and also you're getting 25 dollars off uh, and that's zeal z-e-e-l.com and then make sure to click the add promo code at checkout and use our code BADCHRISTIAN. Right now, go to zeal.com or on Zeal's iPhone or Android app and get a special offer when you try Zeal today. Enter the promo code BADCHRISTIAN at checkout to get $25 off your first in-home, on-demand massage. All right. Toby, can you introduce this Hearts Like Lion song? I'll play it. Yes, definitely. Uh, guys, let's play It's Not Gonna Be This Way. A new single from Hearts Like Lions off the Tooth and Nail. Hearts Like Lions, this, this is, once again, it's just really neat. It's good. I think they're one of, not only just because they're on Tooth and Nail, but I think it's like one of the really good bands out there. Mm-hmm. So I think that's what's really cool. Yeah, if you notice that, Tooth and Nail has a million bands with records coming out all the time. Right. And we the only ones we do ads for over here are typically the ones that we really like or know right. or that they think is a good fit for our audience. And Hearts Like Lions is one of our favorites. All right. So this one's called If I Never Speak Again, and it comes out February 17th. This, this is a, That's their, their debut record. Uh, the song is called It's Not Gonna Be This Way. 
It's a new single. Uh, and you can pre-order this record right now at toothandnailrecords.merchnow.com. Again, If I Never Speak Again comes out February 17th. Hearts Like Lions. Check it out. All right. Now let me ring up Matt Willingham and see if we can do our podcast live with a guest from Iraq. Wow. This is a first. Matt, can you hear us? I hear you. Absolutely. That's great. All right. So we're in kind of a time difference here. We're uh, where we are. I'm in on the West Coast. It's 930 in the morning. What, where, where you're in Iraq and what city and what's the time difference there? Well, it's 846 p.m. So what would that be, like 10 hours difference? Yeah, yeah. 10 or 11 yeah. hours difference from where I am. Yeah, and I'm in... Uh, I'm glad it's not four in the morning for you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. I like this time. This is kind of nice, you know, winding down. Uh, but yeah, I'm in Sulaymaniyah in, uh, in the Kurdistan region right now. That's where we're based. Uh, and then we make forays into other parts of Iraq from here. Mm-hmm. How long have you lived there? You look like somebody who's really heard a lot about Sulaymaniyah. <laughs> it, <means, laughs> it just mean, it means Solomon in Arabic. It's right up by, by the Iranian border. I'm like a 40-minute drive from Iran. Yep, my family used to vacation there two, you know, two or three times, but we hadn't been back in a while. So it's <laughs> lovely. You should come back. <laughs> so how long have you been there? Six years now. Dang. And for I, the reason, like, like the whole time you've been doing uh, preemptive love, like, and getting it on its feet, or that? Yeah, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't around for the the very very early days. I just kind of was following what preemptive love was doing as a student at, at Baylor university. Yeah. Uh, so college kid. Yeah. And then kind of kept talking to them, was following what they were doing and they invited me out. And so we came out and visited and then decided to join long term. Yeah. And that was I, yeah. in 2011. So when I hear, I, I mean, I'm, I'm ignorant, very ignorant to what it would be like to be in Iraq. Like my, my, whole upbringing, especially growing up in the South is it's just bad, dangerous. And that uh, you are getting, you know, are, are like it's scary to live there. So, so what is it like l- living there for you? Yeah. I mean, it kind of depends on where you are. The, the Kurdistan region, which is just kind of a, it's a, it's a particular province. You may have heard of the Kurds mm-hmm. here and there. They've been in the news a lot the last couple of years, but, but that region of Iraq, they've managed to really secure their borders pretty, pretty tightly. Uh, and so there are quite a few foreigners here, actually, a lot of Westerners, a lot of American workers, you get, you know, a lot of aid workers, obviously like me, you get, and then you just get people over here running businesses, working at schools. Um, so there's a pretty, there's a pretty good sized expat community in other cities, but outside of the Kurdistan region, it's, it's a little more of a mixed bag, you know, Southern Iraq kind of down toward Kuwait and Saudi is pretty secure for the most part. Um, yep. but not as easily accessible. Kurdistan, you can get your own visa. Like you guys could show up right now and you'd get 15 days free. And, you know, it's it's safe. My wife, kids live here with me. I don't have any problem with my wife just going to the market, Dang, you know, walking around, buying stuff. It's 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 fine, generally speaking. There are risks, but overall, it's it's a really secure, pleasant, safe place to live. Nice. Okay, so this is a bizarre situation because you're over there and you've been over there and you're an American and I imagine you follow America pretty well or still have Facebook or still see what's going on over here. I know it's national news, but uh, w- here's the position we're in, or at least me personally. 
I'm quite confused about everything I hear because I hear so much different stuff. I just, there's so much polarized, goofy information that I don't feel that I'm able to really get a grip on the, the real situation and what refugees are and what border security is about and who's hurting and who's helping and how could you help if you wanted to. Um, the whole situation needs to be untangled from my point of view, which is why we wanted to talk to you today. Um, so can you help us clear up? Can we at least start with what are some con- uh, correct or misconceptions about what Americans are thinking and saying about refugees right now? Yeah, uh, those are that's a lot. And that's all really good stuff. I'm trying to think. Yeah, it is. But with the Internet being the way it is here, I'm, I'm loading you up so you can talk for a little bit. So we don't have nice. it's hard to go back and forth. So I just want to hear you talk a little bit about. What is the refugee crisis? I, I mean, it's hard for me to even put a face yeah, on Yeah, so, um, I mean, you guys are, are well aware that, you know, in, in 2014, things really started falling apart in Iraq, and they had already been falling apart for several years in Syria. And so just the destabilization, in, you know, after Arab Spring, after the Iraq War, really has just has led to a number of different groups. Um, originally, it was a smaller number of militias or military groups kind of rising up. And then now we've got, I mean, alone, there are thousands of different militias over the country fighting a little more straightforward, mostly, you know, a couple of different groups against ISIS. But this conflict across the region has just, I mean, it's resulted in, you know, tons of people obviously having to, having to run, um, often becoming displaced multiple times. Uh, so, you know, they run from one city to another and then, you know, the fighting then sort of follows them. And so you have people just kind of perpetually having to run. And so people who are running within their own countries kind of in our, in our line of work or whatever are called internally displaced people. We just call them IDPs. And that just means that they, they had to run. Mm-hmm. They had to live home inside their own country. And there are tons of those people and they don't really get talked about so much, you know, they're not technically refugees because a refugee is someone who had to flee their country. So, for example, where I'm at in the Kurdistan region of Iraq, you have lots and lots and lots of Syrian refugees because they fled Syria. But you've also got tons and tons of Iraqi IDPs, like internal refugees. Um, and they're, I mean, they're just all over the place. We, we can drive, drive down a highway here and you'll see people living in abandoned buildings, shipping containers, just living in tents. Um, so the crisis, I mean, in some ways, we're at the headwaters of, of this crisis on this end of things. Um, but you have a lot of people, obviously, who are actually trying to to get somewhere better, you know, somewhere safer. And so a lot of those people, they go to Jordan, um, they go to a lot, go to Turkey, these neighboring Muslim majority countries. That's where a majority of refugees have fled at this point. Um, you also get quite a few going to Lebanon and other places. Uh, a very, a not not a huge percentage, but a I mean, a significant percentage, but not even close to the majority actually end up fleeing toward Europe. But because they're going toward Europe, they get probably talked about the most mm-hmm. yeah. um, because, you know, allies and the way that geopolitics tends to work and money and just security concerns. Um, but actually, it's a pretty it's a pretty small percentage of people actually running toward Europe. Um, and then, of course, the percentage of people who have actually made it into the U.S. and Canada is like you know, it's teeny, teeny, teeny. Well, is there any, um, so, is there, sorry to sidetrack you there, but why would they need to come to America? Like from a super ignorant point of view, why, it seems kind of inefficient to send them across the ocean anyway. Like why, how did, how would any certain refugee even have the opportunity to come to America and why wouldn't they just go somewhere else? Yeah. So that's a great question. I mean, 
I don't I don't know I don't know why someone would specifically want to go to America apart from maybe that they already have friends or family there. Um or maybe they've got some contacts who would be willing to sort of sponsor them to come over, for example. Mm-hmm. So like it's funny where these pockets of of Iraqis end up like in in America. It always surprises me. Like my my buddy was telling me the other day that he's in uh Oh, he's in Lincoln, Nebraska. Like, and there are tons, <laughs> tons of Yazidis, which is a really interesting kind of unique minority group in Iraq, um, in in Lincoln, Nebraska. And he really? was like so excited. Gosh. He's like, "Tell me about Lincoln. What's there? Is it great?" And I was like, "Dude, I have no idea." <laughs> but, wow. but he was so he was so stoked to go to Lincoln, and and he went there. He was resettled there because he translated for the U.S. Army during the Iraq War, and then. And then so he was able to apply and he, he kind of got some special access, but, but his life was, was under threat as someone who had, who had worked with the American army. And so he had, he had that. And there are a lot of people like that. Um, sadly, now those people who, even people who worked for the U S army under this ban are not, not able to enter. Um, but at the time, you know, we were allowing people in that situation in. And so because he could prove that his life was uh, being threatened, you know, he could kind of show different messages he's gotten. He could basically make a case that he he was in serious threat if he's under serious threat if he didn't get out. And so they they accepted him. Often you'll have people who, for example, in Southern California, there are tons of Iraqi Christians um, in the San Diego area, and so that that community of people they'll often like um, they want to go move over with friends or family who are already there. Um, because because the communities here are just dwindling, and so they'll they'll say we don't have a lot lot left here, and so uh, the U.S. will will often accept if you already have like friends and family who are in the country. Yeah. Um, the thing they're most I think it seems like the thing the U.S. government tends to be most concerned about is if if they just have no frame of reference for who you are or where you're coming from. Yeah. Um, you don't necessarily have friends or family who are yeah. over here, not any real ties. It's just kind of this lone lone person or family they don't know anything about does that does that make a little sense yeah so you've dedicated like your whole you know decade here in your 20s it seems at least to to caring for these people and refugees meaning that i'm just defer to you that you are a person who cares about them so my question is is it a is it or how horrible of a thing is it the current u.s policy uh political policy how horrible is that or not horrible at all from your point of view as someone who well, you know, devotes their so lives it's to not, it's not, it's not a binary kind of thing. You know, it's not, it's not all horrible or all great or, or anything like that. I mean, that's the thing about Iraq, right? That's the thing about this part of the world. And maybe everything that really matters is there's no true, like simple answer. There's always a yeah, but, and I just, I love that about Iraq and it drives me crazy about Iraq, but there's always a yeah, but, and yet a lot of people here and maybe around the world, they want to say, well, this is how it is. You know, it's, the Republicans have it right. The Democrats, Democrats have it right. The Sunnis have it right. The Shias have it right. But in reality, it's it's a mixed bag. So that's my little caveat. Um, generally, I mean, are you personally distressed to hear the executive order? Is what I'm asking. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think I'm more concerned. I, okay, so there are definitely I definitely am concerned about how quickly uh, it was passed, and I think that. It, to me, it seemed like it was not well thought out. It seemed like it was very, um, very quickly passed. And 
I, yeah, I, I just, I wish that it would have, there would have been a little bit more time. I don't really buy the idea that, you know, if you give it more time then the terrorists will rush in like that, the, the data just doesn't really hold up for that. Um, but I also think that some of the responses have been so emotionally charged, particularly like in opposition mm-hmm. to the EO, have been so emotionally charged that, that people aren't always getting their facts straight. Um, there are quite a few things that may, may be being said that aren't exactly accurate. Um, and we've, we've written a lot about this on our site. If people want to go deeper, uh, preemsoflove.org, you look on our blog, there's a piece that's at the very top. It's, it's five things that you need to know. And it's, it's, it's got this kind of stuff. Um, but for example, you know, some people on the, on the sort of supporting side of things say, well, um, you know, it's, it's the same basic thing as what President Obama did in 2011. You know, that's, it's, but it's not quite. There, there are some pretty significant differences. Um, another thing that people sometimes get wrong is it's often called a Muslim ban. Uh, that's, a, that's, a really, that's a pretty simplistic way to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Um, there, are, there are over, I think, I think it's over 40 Muslim-majority countries that aren't at all affected by this ban. Um, in terms of like their their citizens are still able to travel freely to the U.S. under normal visa law, um, I think the reason that it's typically called a Muslim ban is the fact that in these seven countries that have been uh, that have been banned from entering the United States, their their citizens are unable to enter. There are exemptions for any non-Muslim under certain circumstances from those countries, but there are no exemptions for Muslims from those seven countries. Mm-hmm. So I think that's that's kind of why it's called a Muslim ban, but I just think it's worth mentioning that it's not like a a global Muslim ban, you know? Right. Um, which some people have kind of implied. Mm-hmm. Yeah, lots, <laughs> lots yeah. of people have implied. That's interesting. So, so is there real like so when people talk about Muslims and uh, ex- extremists and and all that stuff, w- being over in Iraq and and seeing refugees there and and having dealt with so many refugees, is does anybody like this? Is there a real truth to that it's, it's scary if we let them in our country or any country? Like, I, I, you know, I've read other countries put, you know, slow down Im- immigration as well or all that stuff. Like, what what is your take on that? Like, it, I don't know, mathematically or percentage-wise or just working with people, refugees. Is there – how much truth is there that it's dangerous and we're it's all about safety? Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen people kind of throw charts around. You may have seen it. It's kind of like a screenshot of – things that are more likely to kill you than like a refugee. Right. If you seen <laughs> yeah. that where like, you know, vending machines going to fall on you and crush you or like, and it's, it's, you know, it's funny. I've seen a bunch of, a bunch of that kind of going around and I've, I've tried to kind of dig in to figure out what's the real data in terms of, you know, how likely are you to actually be killed by a refugee, even like second, third, fourth, fifth generation immigrant, even if you want to go that far back. And it, it, it does seem that the numbers are, are very, very low. Um, it's fascinating to me that psychologically we could be more terrified of, you know, for example, like an, an ISIS lone wolf than, you know, than a car wreck. Like people die in car wrecks all the time. People die just from gun violence, American on American yeah. all the time, way more than most developed countries. But like, we just, we're not really that, we don't think about that. Like that doesn't get, that doesn't, that's not the boogeyman under the bed for us. Yeah. Um, ISIS is the boogeyman under the bed and yeah. they've made themselves that and we've allowed them to make themselves that for us. And, and I, and, and the one thing I want to always say for whoever might be listening for you guys is I, I just think it's really important that we allow people to admit they're afraid. 
mm-hmm. afraid, you know, I, I'm afraid, you know, this isn't about like being all cowboy and just suck it up. You know, you'll be fine. Like, I think there, there are real concerns and people's fears as they're either supporting this EO or they're against it or whatever. Like, I think, I think there's a place for that. And I think that we've got more than enough fear shaming going around and we need to stop and acknowledge that those emotions, those need to be heard and there needs to be a place for those emotions to be expressed. And we may disagree with each other. I mean, I'm going to vehemently disagree with people <laughs> all the time, but, but I, I, I've just kind of realized it, this is something that I, I mean, if I, it's, it's Christian, right? I can, I can say the Lord is like really impressing on me. I, I want, I want to be the kind of person who, who can, yes, disagree, but, but start by just listening and asking questions. Because I think a lot of people feel backed into a corner with this stuff. Yep. I think particularly That's the right. people who, who are supporting, supporting the executive order, they feel somewhat backed into the corner and they're just in this position where their fists are up. And, and I've, I've spent enough time in Iraq with, you know, uh, with people who, who either like were a part of extremist groups or who have friends who are extremist groups or even just people who are very fundamentalist in their thinking to know that you don't want to back people into a corner like that. When you don't give people an outlet to express their fear, their anger, that's how groups like ISIS are born. Mm-hmm. ISIS couldn't exist if people actually listened to the everyday people. But because, because the, so many young men in this country and really around the world have been ignored, sidelined, demonized, not cared for, not listened to, ISIS is ranked swell, you know? That's and so the most important, the most important thing from my perspective is just that, that we not shame, that we not just get behind that keyboard and assume no one's going to really be hurt by what we said, or, or maybe we know it and just say it anyway. I don't know, but that we just be a little bit more sensitive and do whatever we can to really listen to people. That's interesting. How would you respond to someone that says, Hey man, like seriously, I love everybody. I, I would like to help everybody, but if we don't do something, you know, crazy over the top like Trump is doing right now, we're not going to have a country that can be seen as a safe haven anymore anyway for people to come in the first place. Like how how would how do you respond to that sort of because I, I mean I I'm blown away by your open mindedness. You I I think I I would imagine going into this conversation you'd be like, dude, people are so ridiculous. They're stupid. Like they got to help people. How unchristian. And seriously, like I I think your voice is so important because you're actually doing what people need to be doing, and that's helping the situation out, and you don't hate the other side. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty remarkable. So how, how would you respond to someone like that? So to someone who's saying, I get where, I get where you're coming from, like that they were talking to me, but they're saying, you, you just, I, mean, I just think that we need to be safe, that we need to secure our borders. That's what you're asking? Yeah, yeah. Okay, okay, I want to make sure I'm understanding you. So... One of the things that we talk a lot about on our our team, and um, this is just a regular conversation for us, is we I don't I don't buy into the idea that that it's either or. I don't buy into the idea that 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 we have to keep ourselves safe at the expense of other people. I don't I don't actually think that it's this this sort of dualistic way of thinking that says either my kids can be safe or we can allow you and your kids in. Like, I think, I think we've just, we've just allowed for such a sort of binary dualistic approach to so many of these very complex issues that we end up just, so I, I, I shouldn't talk to you. I, I guess if I were going to talk to them, I would say it, it doesn't have to be that. It doesn't have to just be you or them. Right. It doesn't have to be Christians or Muslims. It doesn't have to be Americans or Syrians. That's, that's too simplistic. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's that kind of black and white 
perspective on the world that that that's what that's actually how I mean ISIS has said outright in in their like leaflets that I've held in my hands that were dropped across Iraq in their actual like propaganda videos we don't want a gray world right. we want a black and a white world we want people to only see like we're the ones with the white hats they're the ones with black hats and we don't want any room for sort of you know a conversation in moderation and so I would just appeal to people to not see it that simply, mm-hmm. to not say it's either or, um, to not say that we have to respond with such an extreme, just slam the door mm-hmm. kind right. of thing. Right. Yeah, I actually saw a, I actually saw a meme on Facebook and it was basically the top, uh, I don't know if this is a meme, but the top of it was a like hundreds of rattlesnakes. And it said, how do you know? which of these rattlesnakes is going to strike and bite you. And then in the bottom, <laughs> there's hundreds of Muslims. And it says, how do you know which one of these oh is going to try to blow up? Uh, and it's just Lord. like, gosh. So yeah, that's crazy. distasteful for sure. I mean, all that kind of, the, the thing that I, I think the, of course, you know, the people that are really obnoxious or xenophobic or whatever it is. Uh, the, the, the problem with me is the average person feels like what they need to do is just make a bunch of noise to their friends or even make a bunch of noise to the government as if it was going to change anything. And even if it did, it's still, that's still skipping the step of, could I care? Like for instance, everybody out there has the opportunity. There's a million people that went to college or didn't that are your age that could be doing what you're doing. You said yourself, you can get, get to Kurdistan. Anybody that really cares can do what you're doing. And then there's many steps between there and, you know, donating to, but it seems like the most useless thing you could do is assert your opinion a bunch of times a day to people that aren't going to listen or you're going to make mad. That does nothing. Uh, Even your, even your political activity doesn't seem like it's that effective, but you could give your money. You could give your time. You could move there and help people like you are. There's plenty to be done if anybody actually cares. Right. Well, and yeah. And I think, I think even, it's even simpler than that, although what, I, what I'm about to say I think is harder in some ways than just putting money in, in a nonprofit's you know, account or whatever. I think just, just Googling mosque closest to me and mm-hmm. going, you know, like that's, that's scary. I don't want to pretend like that's not hard. Um, in some ways, I'm more scared to do that when I'm in the States than I am to go visit the mosque that's about nine feet on the other side of that wall. Um, yeah. What do you What it do you is, mean? What do is, people do here? Go visit. You're, you're suggesting, for instance, that I eat lunch and then go over to a mosque and just go introduce myself or observe or what's the yeah? What just go saying? over and say, look, I hear all this stuff about about Muslims and obviously y'all are all over the news. And would it be okay if I just asked you questions and hung out and or we could go get tea or you know like mm-hmm. I I had I mean we we've been encouraging people to do that for about a decade now since the organization was founded. And, 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 and people don't typically do it. They, no. They'll just give us like a thousand dollars. Please don't ask me to do that. <laughs> yeah, and, 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 2000, whatever. Yeah. Okay. For, and, yeah, yeah, for, here's, here's my kid's college savings. Just don't do that again. <laughs> for our listeners, people do it and they right. come back and they're like, they're floored. And we have so many people we keep in touch with who they have these lifelong friends and it has radically transformed them. It doesn't necessarily mean that their politics have completely changed. It doesn't necessarily mean that they're somehow wishy-washy in their approach to Christianity or their understanding of the teachings of Jesus or anything like that. It just, it, what, what it t- typically does is it just makes them more sensitive, more open to just 
asking people questions, trying to understand what their perspectives are and why they think the way they do. And, and what they typically find is a lot of Muslims in the United States, um, they're, they're pretty nervous, if not outright afraid. I imagine so. And, and whenever they're able to hear that, that fear and even see the fear in their eyes or the concern, sometimes it's masks, you know, sometimes they're, they're met with people kind of with their fists up, but, but generally speaking, you come back and you spend some time enough times with, with a person, you start kind of seeing through some of that veneer and it just is a very, very humanizing process. And I think that I would actually say to anyone who is talking to me right now, including you guys, like, don't, don't give us money first. Like if, especially given how tense things are and what's going on right now, like go and just, just find someone who is of a different faith, particularly maybe a Muslim or a Sikh or, um, and just, yeah, sit down and, and ask questions and just try to let them know you love them. And I think, I think it's important that they not become sort of an evangelistic project, mm-hmm, right. but, and I think we all know that, but just to make sure that, that you're, you're listening way more than you're talking and for our to listeners- me, that would be the- Wait, wait, hold on. Let me make sure I got this right. You're saying act like Jesus? Mm, Are you no. crazy? <laughs> what in the world? Are you serious? That's what you said? Don't give money and act like Jesus? What kind of freak are you, man? <laughs> it's, My job is to raise money for the nonprofit. <laughs> I'm doing a terrible job. <laughs> and so, hey, just to be clear for our listeners' sake, I mean, you're, you're coming from a Christian perspective, right? You said the Lord. When you say Lord, are you talking about Jesus or who are you talking about? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, I'm talking about the risen Christ. I, I am a Christian. I, <laughs> I may also be a bit of a bad Christian in the eyes of many, but um, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I definitely absolutely identify as, as a Christian that, that has been, you know, I'm sure for everyone listening and including you guys, like that's definitely been a, a journey and that definitely doesn't look the same as, as whenever I first, what if these Christians that go to the mosque, they like catch Islam, like they just catch it. <laughs> And then they go and they take it back to their families, man. Well, that, that, that maybe, was a joke. That was a joke. Maybe, yeah, I mean, it's a joke, but okay. So what? What would be so terrible about that? Like, right? That's what I just, people. Think. I just think. I just think. Let's let's all just acknowledge the economy of ideas, and may the best idea win yeah. in love. You know, and okay, so we so, sit, we reason, we talk about our perspectives, and in the end, let's just get Darwinian about it. You know, survival of the fittest. My theology, it's not holding up. Uh, but this guy's got some good points that I'm going to in- incorporate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really interesting you say that. Like the thing that always bothers me about that, Joey's making a joke, but the thing that bothers me about that, and I've gotten that, I'm sure you have too, is that it really takes away that you actually believe in Jesus and that he's true. Like you're that worried that Jesus is so weak that as soon as you hear one thing from a, a Muslim, you, you would be a Muslim. Or, or, or that your only reason to hang out, a lot of people say the only reason you should hang out with a Muslim is to make them Christian, which is such an agenda-driven, non-friendship, non-loving, non-caring way to be that, it, that it's, it's awful. I, I was going to ask you this. I thought, do you ever get like, have you ever, it seems like your lifestyle, you are able just to destroy people because they, they say all this stuff. You go, yeah, I actually live in Iraq and help people. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. do, you, do you run into situations like that where you just get to totally annihilate somebody going off going, Muslims this, or right, do you ever like, do you have to hold your tongue? Like, you could bust anybody. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, we, yeah, sometimes. I, I actually <laughs> I actually try to be in Iraq as much as possible. <laughs> and, and So, like, my wife and kids are in the States right now spending time with, with my in-laws, and I was like, see ya, you know? Like, I was, I, was, I mean, I, it's, it's good to be there, but I just, I have a harder time with it. Um, you know, a pastor friend of mine told me once, uh, he was like, you know, you guys, 
you know, whether whoever you guys is, just believers who choose to go and live in another country or whatever, whether that's a missionary or just a business person or whatever, aid worker. He said, you know, you you go over and you just fall in love with the culture and you show so much grace and love to to people over there, but then you come home and you don't bring that with you. Why why don't you come back and show us the grace and the love and the patience that you show these, you know, these countries that that are not your own, these people who are not your own. And it was a it was a kick in the gut for me yeah. because there was a long period of time where I wanted to come back and I just wanted to bring the hammer. And, you know, I wanted to mm-hmm. say, I've had friends martyred and murdered. I've had death threats against me. I've seen the dead bodies of ISIS fighters in the streets. Like I, you know, like I wanted to drop that, you know, and, right, and, right, and right. it was very combative. It was not, it was not loving. It was not from a place of uh, what I was talking about earlier, you know, just wanting to acknowledge the emotions of others and, and, and the, the fears, especially of others. And uh, yeah, it was it was a really good word from from my friend. And I've, I since then, I've just tried to keep playing that over and over in my head to acknowledge, yes, there's a place for, I, I don't I don't know, maybe, maybe wielding authority. But I think generally speaking, that doesn't typically get me very far. Mm-hmm. Um, True. It just doesn't get me anywhere. And so I just winning doesn't tend to ever result in winning, you know, like, mm-hmm. so I just try to try to ask as many questions as I can. So we're going to let you go here and say, I got a couple more things though, but thank you for your time. And uh, we essentially we're here to listen on this and to learn for, we just defer to you basically. Again, it's we'll, we'll follow your, the blog over there and try to get good information. Um, and I'm going to ask you something about the money and something about the uh, good information. But before that, I want to know from your point of view on the piggybacking off that last train of thought you were on, what grade, letter grade, would you give American Christianity on this particular matter? Oh, man. So this is like all professing Christians who have American citizenship. Yeah. I mean, I'm know, not looking, I'm not that, fishing for a low grade either. I'm just saying I don't know who gives money, who does what exactly. I, know, I see some behavior here that disturbs me in the American Christian church, and I'm one to be cynical or skeptical, but I'm not asking for a low letter grade. I'm asking from your point of view, yeah, is American Christianity... Yeah. You know, how do you rank? How do you rate them? I I don't know. I on this I'd issue, say like B B plus maybe. I mean, that's good. It as bad as it sounds and as it's felt right now. Now, American Christian to American Christian, <laughs> maybe like a D. I don't mm-hmm. know. But but I I mean we, you know, it's it's real easy to sort of poo poo like evangelicals, Christians, mm-hmm. whatever, as being not generous or whatever you want to say. I mean, in this moment, maybe not welcoming, not hospitable, but I mean, we, okay, let, let me just give an example. A few months ago, you may remember that the, the battle for Fallujah started up. Mm-hmm. Nobody was ready. I mean, nobody. The UN had its pants down, didn't know what was going on. If someone from the UN is listening, I'm going to be in trouble for that. But, <laughs> but in reality, we, we weren't, we weren't ready. And and we, I mean, we were able to mobilize pretty quickly and, and started delivering quickly. And the response from churches, mostly, mm-hmm. mostly evangelical churches in the United States blew us away. I mean, Fallujah, awesome. right? I mean, more, more U.S. troops died in Fallujah during the Iraq war than anywhere else. Largest ground assault of U.S. troops since, uh, since Vietnam. I mean, it was, it's a big deal. And I mean, it was called the bomb factory, uh, Al-Qaeda's presence. I mean, ISIS was in, in control. It, it's, it's a, it's a tough, tough, tough place. And I think there are plenty of people out there who would gladly say, just nuke the whole city and be done with it. You know, like, yeah. mm-hmm. I mean, I've got enough friends who said it here in Iraq, uh, Muslim friends saying it about Muslims, like those people just 
be done with them. You know, I mean, it's very much kind of a Jonah type deal with the uh, with the Ninevites, right? I mean, mm-hmm. that's how a lot of people view Fallujah. But the people who stepped up for Fallujah were mostly American Christians, and it's just been amazing to see. So there, there are tons that's of great, people. Yeah. That's one example. But there are tons of people not just giving money over here for people over here who need our help, those poor people over here, but we actually see lots of examples where people are, are, are doing what I just, what I was just talking about, you know, extending their hand or just, just walking across the street or walking down the street to the mosque and actually just spending time with people. And, and it makes a huge, huge difference from my perspective. I think it's a beautiful, beautiful thing. There's no doubt it's easy to make fun of the church and easy. I mean, we do it all the time, but, and, uh, but I'm glad to hear a good report about that. Um, even if nothing else but other than the financial, we do know churches give away a lot of money. And it seems like as much as they get beat up, the American and evangelical church seems to lead the way in a lot of donations and giving and adoptions and supporting a really good thing. So I I don't mean at all to negate or thwart that. And I'm glad to hear a good report. So maybe we're just hearing the worst obnoxious loudmouths that, that's, that, that are disturbing for, from our tribe. Maybe that's the problem. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Certain people get a lot of airtime and mm-hmm. certain don't. But but yeah, I've been encouraged personally. Okay, so let's tell people what exactly you'd like them to do. You'd like them to visit the mosque, meet some Muslims, talk to them, extend goodwill, and try to improve the whole climate everywhere. But more specifically, your job actually is to try to re- help people. And the best way to do that is raise money for preemptivelove.org, correct? Yes. Yeah, so that's that's us. I mean, So where does, if people give money, what does it do exactly? Tell us what the money does. Well, we got a lot going around the world. It kind of depends upon how you give it, where you give it. But most of our work right now is in Iraq. We've got work in Iran, uh, Syria, uh, Lebanon, Libya, conflict zones kind of all over the world. Um, but, But most of our work right now is in Iraq and Syria. And so if you, I mean, if you were just to give just kind of on our general slash donate page on the website, more than likely that work is going to go toward a couple of things. It's either going to go toward people getting food, typically like people in very frontline positions. As an organization, we try to go to the places where their organizations either can't go or won't go. And so uh, we're, I mean, just a couple of days ago, I was in Mosul, just right there on the Tigris River. And we could actually see active combat from the roof where we were with ISIS as they're like going neighborhood by neighborhood. And and the reason we go there, it's not, it really isn't just some kind of cowboy deal. I mean, we're there because the UN said, look, they're not allowing those families out of that neighborhood for security reasons, but they have no food. If you guys could take food to them, that'll help tide them over until they're cleared and they can make sure that there aren't any bombs in the area and that we can get convoys through, that people can be allowed to leave. So for a variety of reasons, people just often aren't allowed to leave their homes or their neighborhoods. Most of it's really about security. Um, and so they won't let them out, but they'll let us go in. And so we're doing that right now. We just finished doing a lot of that in Aleppo, and we're doing that in other parts of northern Syria and then Mosul and, and some other parts of northern Iraq as well. That's probably the main area to go to. Uh, but then the secondary, uh, you know, primary kind of work that we're doing is uh, what we kind of call empowerment. It's, it's like job training. It's basically just trying to help people get back to work. And so they're kind of they're kind of standard ways to do that, but we we tend to try to this is sort of a theme you may notice, but but we try to just show up and listen and say, what do you like to do? You know, like, and most of the time they say, oh, I don't know, like I don't have any skills, I don't have any, just give me money, and we would say no, and we leave, <laughs> and then and then you know we come back like a few days later or whatever, and we say, okay, what do you like to do? And eventually they start to dream, 
And, and it's once they, once they start dreaming, we found that that's when they go, okay, like this, this lady, she knows how to fake. She doesn't realize that that's a skill she can make money with. And so we just try to identify that and just to encourage them toward some kind of skill and just to get, start making some money, get their kids back in school. And so that's been a big focus for us right now. It's not as sexy as the frontline food deliveries, but mm-hmm. it's, it's infinitely more important in some ways just because because people have got to be able to get back on their feet because if they don't, then people stay displaced, they stay vulnerable. Um, and I think that's the kind of thing that, that can keep these conflicts going as young people are on the streets, exposed to jihadists, et cetera. Um, so that was a lot all at once. No, that's yeah. great, Matt. Thank you very much. <laughs> Y'all good, Toby and Joey? We'll let Matt go. Yeah, this is great. Thank you so much, really man. was. Guys, I got to say real quick, though, like this is this is really fun for me. Uh, I spent years and years listening to you guys. I love your music. And no lie, my sister named her firstborn Emery, and it is not <laughs> after the university. Like, so I'm, I can't wait to send them the link. They're going to be pretty jealous. I got to talk to you all, but thanks for having me on. Well, Matt, thank you very much. Again, the the it's called preemptivelove.org. Check it out. I think it's a great thing. There's a ton more. I, w- I could ask you a million questions about what ISIS is. It would be entertaining. So we could have you back sometime. There's more things to talk about here, but we just wanted to get in this a little bit and just defer to somebody that knows more than we do. Thank you. We're gonna, we'll, I'll uh, talk to you later, okay? Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Take care. Awesome. Thanks, man. All right. Very good. Matt Willingham, preemptivelove.org. That, that destroys me because... I, I guarantee you his sister is a super nice, you know, Christian, maybe living in Texas. And she goes, wow, we named our, our, our child Emery after that band. And then they listen to our podcast and they hear yep. my brother, Mike. Yep. So you got to you hear the one and the old Mike comes on. Because of this pack podcast, do you know how many uh, people's names will be changed from Emery to like something else? I don't know. What, what's, a, what's a good Christian band? The other name that was either they it usually comes down to one or two names for people. It's usually either Emery or Skillet is what they name their kid. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Little Disciple Johnson. <laughs> that was great, man. It was very informative. I really, I really do appreciate that. I think uh, the thing, like I was reading some of the comments on Facebook, and I think what people don't understand. There's some people talking about, well, it's dangerous. It's this, this, and this. Think about a car wreck or, or think about automobile accidents, right? That is an issue. But when it's your mom that dies in an automobile accident, then you really care about them, right? But we're, we're able to pretty easily swallow automobile accidents until it's a real person. So why would we assume we should start with the issue of immigration over let's start with people? Wait a minute. These are real people. The majority mathematically are not terrorists or wanting to hurt us. They want to try and or, live. Or even trying to come here. Right, 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 right. Yeah, exactly. They're, they're so just, why? Yeah, right. So it, I will readily admit there is danger. Yes, there is danger. Something bad might happen. But if we spent way more time and effort, automobile accidents would lessen. We could. I mean, we that has happened with better safety and all that stuff. So all I'm saying is it wouldn't be an immigration issue, and we'd all be more informed. And the organization, the 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 bigger issue would resolve itself if you start with people, because then you would care and you go, hold on. Let's fix this immigration thing because I know these people. These are humans. These are fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, all this stuff. And, yes, some of them are bad, just like we're bad, just like Dylan Roof in South Carolina killed nine people, and he's a white American. Those things, why would do we run so quickly to fear? I don't know anything. I'm going to be scared of it as opposed to, let me start with the person. This is a human. They make mistakes. They do bad stuff. 
Uh, but let me start there, and then I think it can it, we can actually have some grace. We might could get somewhere as opposed to all we're doing right now is buddy heads. It's either bad or it's good. It's bad or it's good. It's bad or it's good. Wait a minute. We're talking about real people. Yeah. Said, well, that was one of the most amazing things Joey said on that. That was it, is it Preston Lee podcast or whatever you were on when he tried to he thought he was going to trap you by saying do you th- care about transsexuals and what they're doing? You said we're talking about people, man. And, and he he couldn't even really give a good answer yeah, it's or, or to come, do a comeback to a group. That's the way we're, we're talking yeah. about people. When you're talking about a, a yeah. real person trying to figure out stuff, that, that changes the game. So why don't, especially as Christians, come on, wouldn't we start there? That's exactly yeah. what Jesus did. That's what. But, but what I'm saying, saying is, that there's no shutdown needed. You're like, oh, you're big on security, great. But you heard you heard what he said. There's just people over there that are locked in in another region of the world, uh, not allowed to leave their city, and they don't have food. Do you have any extra food? Right. You got $5? You got $100? Right. right. You right. will right. not threaten your safety to help people not starve to death because somebody like Matt right. is over there and going, he's living in Kurdistan and driving across the border in the ISIS war zones just to hand them the food. All you got to do is not wow. go out to eat tomorrow. You don't, you're still yeah. safe. You're safe as can be. You can help humans that are, might die, though, right? That doesn't, yeah. you just, doesn't have to threaten your safety to do that. Right. And you're, you'd be helping people that most likely look more like Jesus than you do. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Literally. <laughs> anyway, all right. Hey, do we have time for any more? Yeah, or we, let's we let's getting do off the news there? if you got it. Uh, yeah, I do. All I right, do. I'm still sick. My, no, my nose is getting so stopped up. I feel like I'm just talking like when uh, Rudolph was trying to hide his red nose, you know? Mm-hmm. That's always one of my favorite parts. Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer. That just made me think of this. Rudolph the Red Nose Reindeer cartoon has some of the best sound effects that have stuck with me forever. <laughs> his boy, his voice when he when he when he you know his dad does some like dirt or coal and puts it over to hide his nose so mm-hmm. nobody will know his nose is red. The noise, the, the actual glowing has a ooh, ooh, like it makes a noise when he glows. And then Yukon Cornelius when he taps the ice. Wow, goes, Toby. That that noise. It, it, I don't know what it is about the sound effects of that movie but it gets me like those all those sounds <laughs> stick with me so anyway just a side note kick the music i like that that's a deep pull from the thank you from the uh rudolph in a world where you think you can have a conversation with your two buddies about a childhood christmas movie but they don't even know it because they were early porn watchers and that's all they is in their memories my name's Toby Morell, and this is the damn news. But the sound effects, though. That was really messed up, man. All, all y'all know is the sound effects from pornography. Yep. That's, That's all y'all know. It's messed up. My brother Mike's cool. All right. Uh, this comes I want to from... hear Mike deliver the news on no, time. No, he can't. He can't. <laughs> Mike's voice only lasts so long. <laughs> uh, this comes from roving reporter Dustin Wood. I thought this was pretty awesome. Uh, it's, called, it's from somecards.com. 56-year-old man seeks young female Coachella companion to meet his 20 creepy commands. Uh, Thousands of people across the Internet are cringing today at a viral Craigslist ad from Gordon, a 56-year-old divorcee who wants a young woman to go to Coachella with him and fulfill his quasi-sexual, extremely specific desires. Uh, (laughs) The post, which has has since been deleted, was shared on the Los Angeles message board. Uh, if it seems normal to you at first, keep reading. And so this is what it's really crazy. Y'all listen to this. This is what he says. Okay, here's the deal. I have a VIP pass for weekend two. I'm willing to give it away for free to the right person. I'm looking for a travel companion 
that can enjoy the festival with me and just have a good time. I left my job as a supervising manager at Soup Plantation and subsequently divorced my wife of 11 years. I cashed out my 401k and decided that moving forward, my life is all about having fun. No more team meetings, no more employee evaluations, just fun. And he keeps on going. He says, so here's the thing. I'd appreciate your time and look forward to finding the right one. Here's the stipulations. Must be female, ages 19 to 25. <laughs> Must be comfortable traveling in a recreational vent, uh, vehicle, like a vintage Shasta Chinook, you know, one of those old RVs. Must have fashionable sense of style. Uh, preferably have a pe- playlist of various Coachella artists. <laughs> Must keep... <laughs> Must keep hands and feet moisturized at all times. Must be open-minded and opportunistic. Must be okay with periodic hand-holding, perhaps (laughs) during certain sensual songs and while walking into the festival initially. Fingernails and toenails must be nicely painted and and harmonious with general color scheme of outfit. Wow. I I will provide snacks such as beef jerky and peanut butter sandwiches, but if you have additional snacks or drinks, big bonus. (laughs) <laughs> being social is fine but no excessive fraternizing with other male festival goers and most definitely no public affection with other festival goers violation of this rule results in intermediate immediate removal from the tropic motor motel that we're going to be staying at. he goes on it gets crazier and crazier and crazier he says must not be into drugs but pot's okay he keeps on going but anyway this was pulled down but what do y'all oh, here's, here's my question People go, oh, this guy's so creepy. He's awful and terrible. But let me just say this. He said everything completely clearly. <laughs> so it, he, he's creepy. He's creepy. But do you think that anybody that takes advantage of, the, of this is actually also being taken advantage of? Mm, like a, 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 good, female, a female that agrees to this, he, he has 20 things that he says. Yeah. He said, at least at least twice during the festival, you must tell me in a playful manner that I am naughty. <laughs> oh, my God. He's specific. He's telling you exactly to the T what he requires, and you'll get free stuff, right? Which makes so, you think there's not a bunch of other hidden stuff, right? Right. I mean, right. It, and it's public, and he's taking you to Coachella. It's a public place. So maybe you almost get the sense that you would be a relatively safe thing to enter into. Yeah. You may go I, I, so I, far as to say it was – I wouldn't go so far as to say it's safe, but it's maybe not as creepy right. as, you know, come to my house – and or something you know what i mean there's something about this that almost seems sincere and genuine and you're right if we're talking about tolerance and people doing consensual whatever they want to do can you really could you really blame or judge or would be worried about somebody that said yes to this because that'd be the more interesting thing we know there's freakos and creepos and stuff like this that's not that's not that unbelievable what would be unbelievable is who would respond to that and what would that person be like what would that mean Right. I mean, the answer that most people goes, yeah, he's just taking advantage of maybe a young 18-year-old girl that doesn't know anything. But I'm just saying, you're right. Most people go, the 18 years old, you don't tell her what to do with her body. She's a woman. She's able to do anything. A man, don't tell them what to do with their body. Let them experience this world. They're, 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 all this stuff. So, I mean, you can't have it both ways. What I'm saying is, this guy couldn't have made it more clear what was going to happen. <laughs> like, like, if you agree to it, they, like he, he goes, this is what I want you to do. And mm-hmm. so that's the, like, this is the funniest one. I'll end this here. He said, <laughs> at some point in my time during the festival, you must tell me that you didn't know how good this would go, but you're actually having a really good time. Wow. <laughs> 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 this is awesome. Pastor Joey, what do you think? You think this guy, I mean, obviously he's creepy. I'm not saying he's not creepy or weird or, sh- uh, you know, but he's not shady. Uh, you know, like he's actually <laughs> very upfront. This is what I'm doing. This is what I want. I, I guess I guess at, at what point like 
at what point do you say, well, this, the age of whoever he's attracting to him, they're too young to well, 19. Dis- discern. He said 19 you know to 25. Saying? Huh. Oh, so, uh, yeah. He's not asking for a 15-year-old or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I mean, but it's it's just yeah. pretty I mean, that's 19 that's to 25-year-old. Uh, that's tough because, I, I mean, he, he can legally do that for sure. But when I was 19, my gosh, I was extremely stupid. So, yeah, yeah you but you're right. right. He's he's being he's definitely not shady. <laughs> you're right. Num- number 11 on his list was periodic moments of extended eye contact. <laughs> my favorite, very last my favorite is the the snacks bonus. So oh, I'm right. sorry the, the the particularness of the color matching scheme of the fingernails to the outfit, but <laughs> snacks beyond beef jerky and peanut butter are a huge bonus. So maybe you could get away with even a goofier shade of fingernails if you brought crunch and munch. Right. <laughs> I mean, he's definitely a weirdo for sure. You know, I'm, I get it. But at least once during the festival, you must allow me to carry you on my shoulder so you can see the stage better. Perfect time for Instagram photo. <laughs> Good gosh. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I so know. Great to get to know that guy a little bit more. I mean, I'm sure he never came out with who he is or whatever, but sounds like a quite an interesting guy. Oh, yeah. Well, he's well, welcome well, on the well, show should he hear this and would like to come on. I'd like to get to know this guy a little bit. <laughs> i like the guy i like the guy i think he's okay hey, hey do y'all have uh we have time for one more this one's good too it's another old man you got two minutes two minutes okay this one's really good and it comes from roving reporter uh J- james lott and I- idaho statesman 70 year old admits robbing bank says jail is better than staying with his wife a 70 70- a 70 year old kansas kansas city man pleaded guilty monday to robbing a bank last year uh lawrence john ripple pleaded guilty monday uh, for robbing the bank uh, on 756 Minnesota Avenue. Uh, Ripple was released on bond after he was charged. Uh, Ripple pleaded guilty without any agreement uh, and with prosecutors. The prosecutors and defense attorney will be free to argue what sentence they think is appropriate. The judge will set the sentencing. The bank he robbed is a block from Kansas City, Kansas police headquarters. The robbery was captured on bank surveillance video that showed Ripple hand, note, hand a note to the teller. The note read, I have a gun, give me money. The teller handed over $2,900, but instead of fleeing, Ripple sat down in the bank lobby. When, the bank, <laughs> when a bank security guard approached him, Ripple told the guard that he was the person the guard was looking for, according to documents. The guard took Ripple into custody and recovered the money that had been taken. Later, when questioned by police and FBI, Ripple said that he and his wife had an argument earlier in the day, and he said no lo- that he no longer wanted to be in that situation. Ripple said he wrote out his robbery note in front of his wife and told her he'd rather be in jail than at home. And he then <laughs> he then said he walked to the bank and committed the robbery. <laughs> that is so he good. got out. A 70-year-old man just like, I'm not going to do anything. I can't be with her. I can't. I'm 70. I'll go to jail three meals a day, get a little exercise, be, be away from her. So, I mean. You know. There's a lot of people that have that fantasy that, you know, Dave Powell says that. Says, it doesn't really sound that bad to me to be in jail, which is a privileged thing to say. But, I mean, at some right. point, you could sit, you could be in a miserable situation and figure anything would be better than that, as, I guess, as oh, logic. Right. I would have been terrified if I was the guard. Imagine if you're the guard. He, that's not a policeman, by the way. It's just a bank guard who, right. you know, all of a sudden there is a bank robbery and you go into oh yeah. shit mode. And you're like, right. I'm the guard. I'm here. And then you look over, and the bank robber's sitting there calmly in the lobby. 
I know. And, and he says, "It's me. Come get me." How terrifying! And it's just like, a grandpa. You would, but wouldn't you be thinking like, "This is a, this has got to be a trick." Well, you gonna just I know. walk into that room and turn yourself in? Like it would terrify me as a guard. It'd be way easier to chase somebody down, somebody running and tackle them. That wouldn't be scary, but for just somebody to rob a bank and do something so unexpected, it would have to be a freak out for that guard. <laughs> it just shows you. I mean. Women and nagging. <laughs> the Bible has saying, the one about it's better women to live on the corner of the roof than in a house with a, or a nagging right but go to jail. <laughs> hey, well, this whole episode Woo! is, we love is you, ladies. Brought, the whole episode is brought to you by Preemptive Love. You can go to preemptivelove.com. Not brought to you as in their sponsor or nothing. Right, right, right. <laughs> yep. Um, we, we just really want this episode to, uh, to highlight a, an organization that's doing something. I, I'm looking at their website real quick. And I mean, you can give as little as $10 all the way to $50 for six chickens for a displaced family, all the way to a thousand dollars for a toolkit, um, for a refugee craftsman. So all sorts of ways to give. And then like Matt said, if you go to, uh, the bcclub.com, um, all of our first, it, was it going to be for the next week or no, what? I mean, anybody for the next month, all the money from next month we'll give to that. And we already yeah, made it. So, we already gave some on behalf of the people that are already in the club. So thank you them. We've given a donation on your behalf and anybody new that joins, we'll give all their money this month to, to this. And then of course, anybody out there, you, you could skip, leave us out of the loop and just donate to them directly is great too. Toby, you want to get Mike to give the blessing? <laughs> no. He took off. <laughs> Go in peace, motherfuckers. <laughs> Mike, how'd you get in here? Get out of here. I'm out of here. You've been listening to the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Jabberjawmedia.com. Shh.